Hi, this is uh, Roy Colin of the Speaking Podcast, and welcome to episode number 28. Uh, this week I interviewed Ambika Devi, and it was actually, I believe, the most tips and techniques that I've got since I started the podcast. There's uh, vocal tips, breathing tips, uh, grounding tips, and lots more. Uh, Ambika is an author, teacher, coach, and a singer, and a lot more, which will be discussed in the podcast. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. You'll find us on speakingpodcast.com, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, also at Speaking Podcast. All our episodes are different, so be sure to go back and listen to each one because you'll get something from it. And if you know people that uh, have a fear of public speaking, speaking or hate it, be sure to tell them about this podcast. And we appreciate any positive um, ratings on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to because that gives us uh, more exposure. Uh, regarding our statistics, uh, mo- our most uh, listeners are in the USA, but we've also got uh, plenty in Poland, in Ireland, in the UK, and all around the world. So I appreciate all of you and thank you for, for listening. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hi, this is uh, Roy Collin of the Speaking Podcast, and today I'm joined with Ambika. Have I pronounced your name properly? Yes, Ambika. <laughs> Ambika. So you might tell us who you are. Hi, everyone, and thank you, Roy. It's a pleasure to be here. I am a multifaceted gem of things that relate to the speaking world. I've been a teacher all my adult life, and I began teaching from junior high to high school. Later, I did a short stint kindergarten to 12th grade, and then went on to teach at the university level for a period of 21 years. And during that time, I always worked one-on-one with clients, small groups, teaching workshops, ongoing classes. And so this has been a realm that I've been really comfortable in. Okay. With the different, also, uh, with the different uh, age groups, which was harder, actually. I, I believe that junior high is considered the most difficult age group for anyone. But for me, it was a really transformative group because I got to see my strengths and I learned how to befriend that wild, frenzied, hormone-driven part of people's personalities. And I believe that I take a lot of the life lessons I learned back then into the work that I do today. Interesting. And like you've, you've done, like how, how do you teach the different uh, levels actually? How, you might guide us through that because some people are actually teachers and they're trying to get their message out so, or they want to be a teacher. So like how would you advise them? I believe that we develop who and how we are at a very early age. And working with kindergartners, I was able to really see that and prove my theorem. The, the personalities at that age really start to develop on what they're interested in and how they're going to behave. And through the numerous ways we can identify and categorize people and personality types, you can definitely see that at that early age. And that was really fun because when I worked with that age group, I realized I didn't have to talk down to them. 
I didn't have to change the way I feel or project to them. Perhaps I had to change my language in vocabulary, but certainly not in delivery. And I make it a point to speak to all people in the same way from my heart. One thing that I actually do with my own son, and I'm not sure where I learned it, is that rather than actually turning around, is that you're going down to their level when you're talking to them as well, especially if you're trying to talk something serious, that you kind of just stoop down and that you're, you're looking at their eyes rather than the authoritative figure where you're kind of looking over them. Well, I'm short enough, so I think little people relate to me. <laughs> I find myself looking up more when I'm with adults. <laughs> perhaps that makes me a little less intimidating to the younger crowd, and perhaps that gives me the ability to kind of sneak in on my peers a little bit. And like say with the, the, the elder group then, how, like how did you find that or how do you find the best way of connecting and speaking with uh, students that are you know, older? So I believe that with the older group, uh, it's important to also remember to appeal and appease to their inner child because if we leave that out, then we could get too serious and come across too staunchy. I try to be real. I think it's really important to just be yourself, be real, and speak about what you know. That's so important. And be honest that when you're given questions that you don't have the answer to, you will truthfully say, I don't know, but I will go find out. And when I figure it out, I'll come back to you with what I've learned. Yeah, and I, th I think people give get respect when you do that because a lot of the times if somebody tries to wing it and you catch them out you lose respect from them. but when somebody's honest and they do come back you know you get closer to them you, you know you appreciate people when they do that absolutely it's so important yeah. and uh, i see as well that uh, you've done some radio and television so what what tips and tricks maybe start with the radio first could you give our listeners oh, okay <laughs> radio is really about the type of voice you're using. For instance, if I'm doing a commercial spot, I have to be a little bit over the top in my expression. And so it's a little bit more like I'm up in your face. And if I'm doing an audiobook, I have to really think about what is the tone of the entire book? what type of reader is going to be listening to this book and how can I convey the mood through that? Now, when I'm doing different characters' voices, for me, it's very important to have a different voice per character. There are other types of radio spots where it, it has to be or, or commands and demands that you're more mellow and relaxed and kind of easing in. When I'm doing guided meditation recordings, then I'm being very meditative and using a smoother voice so that I can draw you in to the syrupy meditation state of being. So there are different ways of using your voice. And a lot of us who start out in public speaking learn about tone and pitch, but there's a vast range of mood as well. So what I recommend is that everybody plays with that and use adjectives. I highly recommend finding a great adjective list and 
then see how you can take a specific mood inducing word and how can you express that in the sound and pitches and tones and rhythm of your voice very nice yeah i like that, I like that. and because uh, i know you is it three books that you've you've written yes i have my first book lilith is a novel and it's based on my life uh, i've embedded three stories in it that weave together and converge and that was inspired by my favorite book written by tom robbins which is entitled jitterbug perfume I think he's a master at doing this and I've consumed every book he's written and I absolutely adore his skill in doing that. My second book, Unfolding Happiness, is in the self-awareness, self-enrichment category. And I co-wrote that with a doctor who used to be a medical doctor. He was a surgeon and a chief of a hospital. And then after an illness that he suffered, turned back to his roots in India and went into the study of Ayurveda after Ayurveda practices helped to heal him. We met because I was suffering. I had taught holistic health for 21 years. That was what I taught in college. And when I met Vijay, then I started to go through changing of diet and internal cleansing with him. And after my first book was completed and I was sending it off to the publisher to be produced into its form of a paperback, Vijay asked me, would you help me write a book? And I said, are you kidding? I'd be honored. So I went right into that project. I took a little bit of a break after that because uh, for the last few years, I've been writing a lot of curriculum. This was spawned out of my master's thesis. I got my master's in yoga, which is more of a philosophy degree than how can you bend and stretch. And uh, although that is a part of it, it's a smaller part than people might imagine. It involved history and philosophy and Sanskrit as a language. And so I was writing all this curriculum. And then the third book is a collaboration with an amazing and brilliant poet and it's called The Wizard and the Wrench. And uh, it also has my photography, which is a passion of mine since I was a little child. And uh, some of my artwork. And also, uh, I, my second book is called Unfolding Happiness. <laughs> the one I wrote with Dr. Vijay Jain. Okay, very good. And like when you were, um, say, promoting these books, were you interviewed on radio? Far. Oh, yes. And in video formats, much like this okay. uh, podcast slash video cast. I did some book touring. And uh, after the first book, as I said, I took over my publishing rights. So a lot of social media and learning how to streamline that as well to get the word out there. And when you go to a book event, would you actually be speaking on stage and then sit down and do the signing? Or are you just there for signing? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there were events where I gave a presentation, read from the book, and then did signing. That's usually how it goes, or at least that's how it's gone for me. So you definitely have to be prepared to dynamically present in front of people because you want them to buy your book and want them to meet you and have it signed.
Yeah, 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 exactly. And you know, when you were being interviewed on uh, on the radio, did you have any techniques for the just getting your message across, or depending on the interviewer? Absolutely, I did both sides of it. I was an interviewer and also being interviewed. So I believe because I was on both sides, I understood a lot more about what was going on. I've also done a lot of written responses to interviews. It's quite interesting. You would think that someone from a periodical would call you and ask you questions or meet up with you, but quite often they send you questions and you write them. So there's been a lot of different practices in responding to that. In addition with the radio gigs, I did commercial spots to announce shows or promote things. And I just pitched to do some phone answering voice so that when you call an office, uh, the, you know, the voice that you hear hopefully will be me <laughs> soon. And uh, you're, you're doing coaching as well. So like, is it one-on-one -on -one coaching or do you do group coaching? I'm more than happy to do both. I love working one-on-one -on -one with clients. I've been doing that for many, many years. And I've done plenty of group trainings as well. I love to speak in a way that will inspire and transform my audiences. So that is the way that I prefer to dynamically encourage leadership and integrity in people. Okay. And like when you're doing the group, how long would it last for? Is it like a couple of hours or is it a full day event? I've done everything from a 20 minute presentation to a week long retreat. So you might tell us like, I'd like to know both of, a day one and a week long because I've heard from a few people that it takes a lot of energy out of you how you do it so perhaps you have a different style so how if you had a one day coaching thing how long how you would structure your day and then for the full week what way you'd actually organize yourself for that I like to structure my full day events with the clarity in mind of how our days really go and what are natural biorhythms for us. For instance, earlier in the morning is a great time to do some exercise and movement. So it's important for me to make sure that people get some of that. It's hard to have people come in first thing in the morning after they've had breakfast and if they're juiced up on caffeine and make them sit down and listen. You won't get a lot of good attention and absorption from that. So for me, dynamic exercises. If you do have a lot of information to deliver, do it in tiny bites and do movement and interactions. Also, when it is a new group, first thing in the morning for me is very important to have breakout moments like little sessions. So you have to be clear about budgeting your time when you're scheduling this full day as well. You'll be surprised with the many ideas you have. If you really look at it on paper, schedule it out and budget it out, you're going to find that you've got more than enough information. After I've given dynamic group exercises, it, then for me, it's really important to do some absorption relaxation. So at that point, I may have an opportunity to close your eyes and I'll lead a guided meditation 
and planting and placing the ideas of what I taught in the morning, the key points, into the psyche. I also believe in breaks. It's really important to give people breaks. It's kind for many reasons. They may need to make a phone call. They may need to use the restroom. They may need a drink of water. They may need to go outside and just clear their head for a moment. So it's important to do that and also be clear and make agreements in the beginning of the day that when I give you breaks and I tell you it's this long, you've got to be back in time. When you set the rules in the beginning, it helps the day go a lot smoother as well. If we are eating lunch together, I like to have a silent lunch, not any chatter. And I find that this is a great practice of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness is an important component, regardless of what your topic is. And for you as speaker, it's also an opportunity to actually eat lunch with people and not feel like you have to talk through the entire lunch. You present the idea of the silent lunch at some point in the morning. And it's so interesting to just hear the clinking of silverware and the sounds of chewing and swallowing. After lunch, I like to give a break. I don't believe in the fast half hour or even hour lunch. I like to give at least an hour and a half. I have experienced with some larger groups that they have to go and handle something for family or work. If it's an in-service training, they might be dual responsible during that day. Mm -hmm. So I like to be aware when I'm scheduling this kind of event, is an hour and a half enough or should I give a two hour break? I sometimes will give that long a break. I'd rather give a bigger break in that afternoon time to let people digest, relax and recenter before they come back. After lunch, because people are still digesting, I like to do a group dynamic exercise of some sort where Everybody is involved, and there's a few volunteers helping me, assisting me, and there is interaction and learning about each other. I often use a game that I've learned in NLP about how we think and how we perceive words. After that, I may do something more active again. And then at the end of the day, again, a deep relaxing exercise of some sort where they can integrate and really calm down, decompress, and be ready to go back to their lives, their families, or whatever their responsibilities in the evening are. I also make sure that I am available for them and contact them after the workshop. I send out a group email to all of them and make it aware that you can contact me in any way you like, phone, email, uh, across the internet, so that you know if you have questions that arise or feedback that you'd like to give, I want to hear it, receive it, and then respond to it. I'm just uh, going back to the mindful eating. It was uh, last year I went away for two weeks to Costa Rica, and we spent the two weeks actually doing mindful eating. We were eating with our hands. And I don't think I appreciated food as much previous. It's, it's incredible. Sometimes you're closing your eyes, you just eat, you know, uh, a pineapple. And the juice is like drinking a whole jug of pineapple juice. You, know? so you just appreciate the food so much more, you know, because we tend to just, you know, deep in conversation and just 
throw the food down. So I would encourage people, try it. Just, you know, just slowly. And if you can, eat with your hands and just embrace and just totally be present with the food. And it's, yeah, it's different. Absolutely. And if I'm doing a week-long experience, I always begin the first group meal in silence as well, because that's a time where people really feel like they have to introduce themselves and understand each other. But if I'm doing it in a foreign country and people have traveled a great distance, it's a really nice gift to give them to just be quiet, Mm -hmm. to decompress, to smell the air, to taste the food and to just feel the energy of the people there around. I find that beginning this way helps to break some boundaries. And then I can get into introductions and things like that. Uh, For instance, I led a group in Peru several years back. People traveled from all over the world. And we did that. We arrived. I met and greeted each one, made sure they got into their rooms and relaxed and let them know we're going to be eating in silence when we gather. And I told them what time. After the meal was a, an opportunity to mingle if they wanted, but a lot just on their own wanted to stay quiet. And then in the evening, I offered an optional guided meditation, which many attended. The next day was when I got into introductions. If it's a local workshop, perhaps for a weekend, I might speed it up a little bit. And uh, often for a weekend event, it will start on a Friday night. So that's more of a meet and greet and generalized presentation where I like to invite people that aren't signed up for the workshop as well because they get the opportunity to see who's going and listen to me, meet me, and then perhaps sign up. So I think that's a really great way to begin a weekend experience. And then the next day, using similar methods of my one day that I explained just before, uh, you can stretch that into the two days of the weekend And again, I like to end with something peaceful and guided so that people can integrate and leave with a really good, relaxed feeling. It's terrible to go to a workshop or an event and come home feeling like, oh, I need a vacation for a few days. I'm exhausted. So it's really important for us to make sure we're putting in deep relaxation and quiet even though we are so excited and want to convey and share a great deal of information. And like what you mentioned about the extended breaks, like a lot of the time you just get the hour, not even the hour, you know, because if somebody extends the time before the break, you might have 45 minutes for your dinner. And I love when you've got an hour and a half or two, because especially if you're you know, getting a lot of information, just to decompress, maybe go walk on the beach on your own, just for 30 minutes or just sit there or just make notes instead of just going, you know, for the full day, full steam ahead. So it's, it, it's a good uh, technique. And when you're actually running the show, do, like what's your ways of kind of remembering what you're doing next? Do you have it on your computer? Do you have it on a note or is it just in your head? Like how you plan the whole day? Do, do you have, because like when I'm say the Toastmaster, when I started off, I used to have the list of the different things so that when I was, doing something and then if there was a speaker I'd sit down and I'd look okay what's the next thing no it just comes naturally but I'm just wondering for yourself what way you actually do that bullet points simple yeah 
if I'm giving a new type of presentation or a redesign of a pre presentation, then I simply title it. I get clear about what my opening statement is. I think about what my closure statement will be. And then I bullet point the things that I want to make sure I cover. And I, as a writer, I'm a storyteller. So I make sure there's at least one to three stories from my personal life that I can share as a part of it. Okay. I'm just getting back. The reason I'm curious about the book is I'm actually you know, about to launch my own. And I know there's a few of the listeners that are actually in the same process. So when you're picking a point from your book, do you change it or do you stick to kind of when you're going around in different uh, locations? Like you wouldn't read the whole book, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you just read a few chapters or something like that. It's not probably half an hour because I'm not familiar with that. So I don't know how it's actually done. So to be clear on the question, what I'm understanding you want me to respond to is if I'm using a story that is already in one of my books, do yes, I like, like, do you it? read it exactly from the book or sometimes are you just kind of, you know, telling the story, you know, in your own words? I, th well, if I'm at a presentation where it is about writers and what we've written, yes, then I read right from the book. But if I'm giving a presentation and I'm using a story from one of my books that is about me, which my stories and my books are I, so, so easy. I tell the story and I don't try to memorize it and do it as a script. I feel that it's fine if I miss bits or elaborate more on bits. But for me, when I'm watching a speaker who has obviously memorized a script, I am not as interested as when I feel like a speaker has just popped up there on stage and is telling me a story because they want to tell me the story. I, I want to be that kind of storyteller. I want to be that kind of presenter. And like, if you've got 20 minutes, how do you, you know, if you're telling a story, but do you kind of do a mind map or what way do you do it? I mean, you don't write it out from listening to watch. No, I, I don't tend to write out entire speeches, although I can say when I'm doing a guided meditation, sometimes I will write the entire script and sometimes I'll just bullet point it. But if I'm presenting in front of live people, I don't want to be reading word for word. I, I feel then I'm not relating to my audience at all. So it's important for me to understand the chunks of the bullet points and really be clear on what I want to elaborate. So yes, I practice a bit. Have I winged it? Absolutely. And that's why I really love the opportunities of practicing a 90-second presentation. And you can do that on your cell phone so easily. You can just practice doing little 90-second spots. I think from doing commercials and having to be under 30 seconds or under 15 seconds and be clear, not sound like you're really rushed and you're talking really, really fast, <laughs> that you have to understand your pacing. And so when you're doing an hour or a half hour, test out the length that it takes you to tell the one story that you feel is really important 
and then test out the length of your other two stories and figure out, okay, this is the one I'll let go a little bit longer and this one I might abbreviate and these are the bits from it I feel are really important for me to share for the topic I'm delivering. You've got to know that and then all of the steps in between or highlights or points that I want to share, they could be lengthened or shortened as needed. It, you do have to play with it. Just like when you're planning out a, a day-long workshop, you've got to plan out your speech or presentation so that you have an idea of it takes me about three minutes to tell the story, takes me this many seconds to do my intro, this many for the outro, and the bits in between. Because if you're in a situation where somebody's showing you flags or flashing lights, that can really throw you. You need to be really centered and stay on top of it. Or if you get a laugh where you weren't really anticipating a laugh. Maybe you've told that story or joke so many times, you forget that with a brand new crowd, that's really funny. And you'll have seconds that you weren't anticipating of laughter and you've got to be ready to come right back on with your next statement. That, that can be really off-putting and a little freaky at first if you're not ready for it. Yeah, well, what, what I've noticed as well is sometimes if, if you're doing a new speech and you expect a laugh, not always, you might get one or two gets it. And there's times when you're not expecting the laugh that they'll laugh and you just have to kind of give them the time to kind of, you know, take it on board and then just move on. Because sometimes a person will, whether they're planning on cracking a joke or not, they don't let the audience laugh and they just continue on. So you just have to. It's important to work on your comedy skills. I think that that's a really, really important thing. Even if you're delivering a very serious message, there's room for, a little bit of lightness. I, I see a lot of trends of getting into the valleys with speakers that I've been watching and listening to. And that's great. I think that really helps. But we have to remember to keep the lightness and the enlightenment of what our message is and what we're trying to get across. Uh, also, pauses when you tell something that's really deep. You may have written this, talked about it, shared it with friends, presented about it. And if you don't give enough space for somebody to really take in some heavy information, then that can also throw you off. And you have to understand how do I re-enter? How do I use my tone and my pitch and my pacing to bring them back on to the path with me of where I was intentionally leading them to begin with? And like you, you mentioned, do you do some practicing, you know, like, you know, there's times we all have to go up on stage and just kind of wing it. But when you're practicing, what way do you practice? Do you practice in the mirror? Do you record it? What's your... My second book I wrote while walking and talking to my co-author. And I got really good at texting and talking to him at the same time. And I would text from my phone to my email. And I wrote a great, great portion of that book in that method. I walk every day and I have no problem talking out loud to myself. It's fine if my neighbors think I'm nuts. (laughs) I usually have headphones with me so I could keep one plugged in so they think I'm on the phone. But I 
I talk to myself out loud. I've done some of my great speeches in the shower and also uh, exercising, just moving, stretching, talking to myself. Uh, sometimes uh, I'll talk to a stuffed animal if I feel like I need an audience. Mm. I'll set something up in front of me that has some semblance of eyes, so they're watching that's, that's me. See, excellent. No, like that's the first time I've heard that now, but that's good because a lot of people, they practice, they practice. I've heard of one guy 40 times he practiced. And as soon as he done it in front of the audience, the eye is true. So Here, here's proof. I, I have these guys on my desk. <laughs> and uh, they're actually characters from my next book that I'm working on. I, I happened to find them, and they matched perfectly with the characters. Um, writing a YA novel next. And uh, I've, I've heard in the past, I think, oh, years and years ago, I was told, talk to a plant. Well, I have a plant too, uh, but I, something with eyes helps. And when I was doing my first audio book, I took a little uh, creature with eyes to sit on the music stand and look at me because it just helped me feel like there was an actual audience there. Now, that might be my fantasy world and imagination, but find something that gives you the sense that you've got an audience. You could even take a photograph of people and stick it in front of you. Friends, make it friends, people that love you, that support you. Make a collage of people, kind of like a vision board thing and with some positive words that it, you want to remind yourself, uh, you know, be imaginative, you've got this, you're amazing, and some eyes on you. I think that we're visual creatures. And when we get into the realm of just my voice and I'm hearing myself, especially with something like an audiobook, you've got to stay in the world of the listener and go to something like Toastmasters and practice in front of a loving, supportive live audience because it's a whole different thing when you're used to video. And if you're used to live audience and you're wanting to get into video, practice, practice, practice on your video and show it to people and sit there and watch people watch it. That's super helpful. And with audiobook, watch people listen to it. Give them a five-minute spot that you know exactly what's going on in there and you know the nuances and you know the story and watch them and make sure you're seeing the expressions on their face that you want them to feel and you're trying to convey. Oh, that's excellent advice because I mean I'm planning on actually doing the recording of my own book so that's something that I want to do. So yeah. I'm happy to <laughs> be your uh, listener. That's another thing you have to when you're a writer you have to have lots of eyes not just your not just your line editor it's important to have a creative editor too and that goes for anything we're putting down and recording whether it's video or audio certainly when i was a musician and i was singing and working in radio there were a lot of professional ears around to give me feedback if i was working in a recording studio and my producer didn't like it boom he would stop i'd hear everything stop in my headphones we were in the same room i had the great fortune of working in that style studio. I have worked behind the glass and I've also worked in uh, isolation rooms where you're in the dark by yourself and if you hear the microphone click off, you're all alone. And we as human beings like to feel connected. So this is tricky to get used to. 
these are these are my tricks and tips. I'm happy oh, to nice. give more and find people, bug people, ask them, listen to this, look at this, watch this. If they say, no, I don't have time with for you, I don't have time to do this, fine. Find somebody else, but you've got to get at least five people. I, I like to see odd numbers are really good for feedback. Even numbers are good for stability and balancing. Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned about your singing, I presume that has helped you with your vocals as well when you're on stage? Could you uh, please repeat uh, that question? You, were, uh, you mentioned about your singing. So I presume that helped you, you know, on stage with your vocals and just doing vocal variety and everything. Being trained yes, in that, but some people, they're monotonous and they're just kind of, you know, they put you to sleep. But. Well, oh, definitely. Singing will definitely teach you about using your voice. So will pranayama, which are the breathing exercises of yoga. And learning how to move pitch, not just from your vocal cords, opening and closing, but moving sounds through your body. And there are many techniques of warm-up that I find very useful and very important. One of the easiest, would you like me to share a couple? Of course, yes. Okay, so one of the easiest is the, probably the first sound you made as a baby. And it comes from the buccal area, which is the area around the mouth. So if you take your fingers and just kind of stroke those muscles and get in touch with the idea that your lips move from muscles that go a little bit more broad than what we think of as our physical lip area. And when you were a baby, one of the first sounds you made was and move the sound up into the nasal cavities and try to feel it up between the eyes and play with pitch. This is a really good way to just kind of loosen up the muscles and get ready. Here's one of my superpower tricks. You take the index and middle finger on both hands and place them just below the lower lips in the cheek area and push up so you're actually taking strain off of neck and throat muscles. So you're not trying to drive them up into your eyeballs, but just enough so you can feel that the skin area underneath your chin starts to rise. Take in a deep breath. And this is another baby sound. So we call those raspberries. And then start low in your voice and go high. And then high in your voice and go low like this. And that will relax all your pitches so your voice won't crack. Do that several times. And the mama mums at different pitches after and before. And you've got this. Your voice won't crack. Very nice. This will relax your vocal cords. Brilliant. Yeah, no, that's uh, excellent. I haven't heard that one before. So <laughs> that's excellent. I told you I have superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never doubted it. Never doubted it. <laughs> there's so many more. There's, there's body hacks. If you're nervous and you have to get up on stage, then take your hands and sweep them in diagonals from shoulder to op opposite hip. Put some pressure. If you've got a friend or somebody there that you can say, can you do this to my back, go from my shoulders down to my hips and do it with pressure, this will completely ground you and chill you out. And then you can also take all your fingers and tap above your eyebrows, kind of going in and out. 
this will also help to center and ground you because nerves will just shoot up the adrenaline boom you can't control that but you can calm it down so mm. these are my hacks very nice excellent well listen you have given some fantastic advice today so how can our listeners uh, get in contact with you they can reach me through ambicascoaching.com. So that's A-M-B-I-K-A-S coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. And you can email me there, ambicascoaching at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Perfect. And when, when I put out the, the podcast, I'll have the link as well. So you'll find it on Facebook and everything. So we'd be able to connect with uh, Ambica. So. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. You've given some fantastic advice for our listeners. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Roy. So I hope you enjoyed all the information that Ambika shared. And just to let you know that uh, I've also uh, done a follow-up with uh, some small uh, podcasts, which will be uh, launched midweek. They're only about five minutes, but you can, you'll be able to pick whether it's a uh, breathing, relaxing, vocal variety, and they should help as well. So I'll be doing that from uh, next week on. Uh, you'll find us on speakingpodcast.com, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Speaking Podcasts. As I mentioned at the start, all the episodes are different. So, you know, listen to each one and, you know, make notes, practice, and that will, will help you become a better speaker. What I'm trying to do is get people to go out and make change in the world because there's plenty of people that can speak but unfortunately that's all they do they speak they don't do anything if you've got a message you've got an idea share it make a plan and help people make this world a better place so until next week have a fantastic weekend